1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. This is what it says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, which was rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You are to be a holy priesthood. Everybody say holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 9. I I preached on the the middle text there, but if it's not in context, it may be confusing. You can listen last week and I'll explain it all. Verse 9 says, you are a chosen race or a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord's hand on this word as we open together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you that it is light, it's life, it's instruction, it's correction. And Lord, I just ask that today your word would accomplish all that you desire to for your people. I commit this word to you and I ask, Lord, for a mighty anointing to be released all across this room. That you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that perceives what you're speaking. And that, Lord, even your spirit would rest upon me. That I would speak the words that your spirit would have me speak today. Let any other word, let any other idea fall to the ground, mighty God. But that which you have purposed, let it take root and bring life into us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to move quickly. I've got just a few minutes here this morning. I, uh, I don't mind giving time to flowing in the spirit and, uh, and honoring people who uh, uh, deserve honor. So uh, can you listen quickly this morning? All right. Praise God. So last week I began a series that we have called a chosen people. Everybody say chosen people. Comes out of this text right here. And uh, I want you to tell your neighbor, you are chosen. Tell your other neighbor, you are chosen. And I began to outline the context. You say, well, how do I know that I'm chosen? Well, uh, First Peter here says that all who are coming to Christ, all who are coming to Jesus, you have been chosen. And you've been chosen for a number of things. And last week we dealt with the idea how we were chosen as God's very own possession. You know you're a part of God's family. Isn't that wonderful? Like, I mean... You know, there's a difference between being a guest in somebody's home and being family. Like, you know in your family when you can, you have, are you close enough to anybody that you can walk, you can just walk into their house, you don't even have to knock. You can go to the fridge and just get a snack if you want. Like, you know, without even, are you close to, I mean, that's when you're like, now you're family, man. If you can just walk into the house, open the fridge, get what you want, make a sandwich, you're family. And That's how we are with God. You understand? Like there was a time where you could not approach God. You could not look upon God. You would die. But the Bible in Hebrews says that now we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because your family, 
You're Ohana. We are God's very own possession. We dealt with the idea, and, and this is where we're going. We're going to begin today to kind of launch into new territory, but I, I shared kind of the, the basic idea of this whole this whole series is that we as a church, I think, have done a decent job actually teaching what it is to be sons and daughters. Um, we're dealing with a fatherless generation. We shared those statistics last week, but uh, I understand more than half of this room grew up in a broken, a divided, an unmarried, a divorced, an abusive, an orphan kind of situation. I understand that. And the church has responded pretty well. There is so much teaching and resource now when it comes to being sons and daughters and identity and inner healing and all of that is wonderful. But here's my concern. You want to know what my concern is? If we continue to circle around this fatherless or this orphan idea, my fear is that we'll remain orphans constantly striving for acceptance that God has already given us. And there needs to come a point in time where we just say, you know what, I understand that this is my God-given identity and birthright. I have rights. I have an inheritance. And now it's time for me to graduate. I'm not just a child in the kingdom of God any longer, but I'm going to move into the holy and the royal priesthood. I'm going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Do you understand that God has territory he desires for you to take. God has people he desires for you to bring to the Lord and to see them redeemed. There are individuals in this world that I will not be able to impact, but God has specifically fashioned you to reach them. You understand, we all have a part in the Great Commission. But if we always remain babies, oh, I need more inner healing. I need another deliverance session. I need another, give me more counseling. Give, and then that's fine. Go through it, get healed, but some point in time, friend, we need to learn to step up. We need to graduate. We need to grow up. We need to quit being babies. Hallelujah. Okay, so I'm coming out the gate strong, but again, I don't have much time, so I just got to get right to it. But the Bible... Actually, there are two phrases in this First Peter text, and, and, and we're going to deal with one of them today. You'll notice in verse 5, it calls us, these are all who, who are God's very own, it calls us a royal, uh, I'm sorry, a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood. Everybody say holy priesthood. And then later in verse 9, it calls us a royal priesthood. Everybody say royal priesthood. Today, I want to deal with this idea. What does it mean to be a holy priesthood? And then, I think it'll probably take me a couple weeks, actually. We're going to begin to dig into what it actually is to be a royal priesthood. We are kings, and we are priests unto our God. How are we going to operate and live that way? Well, today, I want to deal with what it is to be a holy priesthood. Now, this is, this is a crazy idea. I don't want you to get turned off by the word priest or holy. I know these are like kind of old school, traditional words, but... Do you realize the Bible calls you a holy priest? I'm going to tell your neighbor you're a priest. 
I mean, that's, this is a wild kind of idea. Maybe you grew up in a, in a Catholic tradition and you've got a certain idea of what a priest is, but the Bible calls us a holy priesthood. What is, anybody know what holy is? Holy, oh, yes, to be set apart. Holy, this is the Greek word, and I'll give you the Greek word because I'll give you a way to remember it. It's the Greek word hagios. Hagios, the way you can remember that, this was a Dr. Morocco thing, the way you can remember that is Hagendos, like the ice cream. Hagios is holy. And the Bible calls you holy. It means that you are sacred, it, you are pure, you are blameless, you are religiously and you are ceremonially consecrated. Now, this is a wild idea. I mean, have you ever thought about yourself? Like, comma, you are religiously and ceremonially consecrated, set apart for the purposes of God. Andrew, you are pure, you are blameless, you are holy unto the Lord. I mean, this is the stuff that God is declaring over you and over me. You're like, I don't feel like that. Well... That's why it's important for us to understand our identity. This is part of who God has called us to be. You know, we, we went through this thing last week where we baptized a number of individuals. How many did we baptize? Last week, 10 or so. It was awesome, an awesome time. You know that, you know what baptism is all about, right? It's, it's really like kind of two ideas. It is a it is a ceremony where we recognize and we declare to the entire world, I'm off the market now. It's like a wedding. You understand, the day that I got married, um, I put this ring on my finger and I made vows that essentially was telling every other person on the planet, sorry guys, I'm off the market. I have been set apart. I have been consecrated only to this woman who's sitting on the front row. And baptism is the very same. In fact, you'll see that marriage is the most frequently used parallel to describe our relationship with God. It's this moment where we go public and we say, I'm not given to any other lovers but you, Lord. You are first. You are foremost. You are only. I am consecrated. I'm set apart to you and to you alone. Now, when you come to Christ, I, I, I need you to get this because, listen, church, there's going to be a day where you stand before God and he is going to give you a job review, so to speak. Have you ever tried to do a job that you were unprepared for? Have you ever tried to take a test that you didn't study for? That's a horrible feeling, isn't it? It's a, it's a horrible thing. What concerns me, even as I'm reading, is, and as I'm, I'm going through this, like the Bible's calling me a holy priesthood. The Bible is calling anybody who comes to Jesus into a holy priesthood. And the Bible's very clear that you have a job description. And one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to ask us, how did you do in your priesthood? And maybe before today, you weren't even aware that you were a priest. I thought that was Pastor Jacob's job. I thought that was for the, the, the Catholic priest down the road. No. You are called. You are chosen to be a holy priesthood. 
Peter is giving us a, a radical idea. Last week we dealt with the idea that you are a holy temple. You're a holy temple. And then he deals with the holy priesthood. Now you got to realize for the Jewish believer, the temple was like their pride and joy. I mean, it was beautiful, it was glorious, but, but Peter is like bursting their bubble and saying, guys, it, it's not about a building any longer, it's about the people being fit and put together. We are living stones, that's what we talked about last week, we are living stones that are being fitted and formed together. Now, listen, I, I know there's somebody already thinking, they're probably watching online because they don't come to church. I've heard people use this as the reason why I don't need to come to church because church isn't a building. Church is a people. I am the church. And that's true. Here's the problem. The church, as the Bible defines it, is not you just hanging out with Jesus by yourself. The church are the people of God being fit together. Unless you're yoking and connecting your lives with other men and women of God, you're not the church. We are being fit together. We are living stones being built together to form the temple of the Lord. And that's a new idea. I mean, that was a radical idea in Peter's time. Today, we've kind of heard some of those ideas. But this other idea, priests, you understand, in the Old Testament were highly revered, highly esteemed. But Peter here is saying, we're all priests. We're all a part of this holy priesthood. And this is incredible. I, I want you to be encouraged by this. No longer is it a select elite group of people, but now every single one of us who have come to Jesus have been called as holy unto the Lord, as a priesthood who ministers. Revelation 1.6 says he made us kings and priests unto our God. Even, man, there's so much I could cover in this, even in Ephesians 4. This is wild. You'll notice that the New Testament gives many titles to many people. In Ephesians 4, he talks about the, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. In First and Second Timothy and Titus, it talks about elders and deacons. It talks about ministers uh, to the Lord. But in all of the verbiage in the New Testament, it never talks about the office of the priest. Old Testament talked a lot about the office of the priest. Where did it go? What's interesting, what's fascinating is God has called all who believe in Jesus to be priests. Have you got the idea? Have you got the, I want you to say it, I am a priest. So what does that mean? Number one, priests, you understand, there were requirements for priests. So number one, priests must be cleansed of sin. You must be a holy priesthood. That means you've been cleansed of your sin. Leviticus 8 outlines what the cleansing process, I don't have time to really go through it, but maybe to give you one example of what that looked like, one time a year was the Day of Atonement, what they call Rosh Hashanah. They would go in, the high priest would take days to make sure that he was cleansed of his sin, ceremonially, mentally, in every way, shape, and form that he was clean before the Lord. Then he would go into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where he would offer sacrifices on behalf of all of the children of Israel. Now, 
This was such an intense thing. The Bible clearly outlines in Leviticus how if the priest went into the Holy of Holies unclean with sin in his life, he would be struck dead. So tradition actually tells us that what they would do is they would tie a cord around the ankle of the high priest as he would go into the prison. Because if he dropped dead while he was in there, nobody else is qualified to go in and drag him out. They would have to find a way to get him out of the most holy place without themselves going in. So they would tie a cord around his ankle. And if he were to drop dead, which the Bible never records that, but if he were to drop dead, then they would be able to pull him out. This is how seriously they took that process. But you may wonder, wow, so I'm a priest? To be a priest, I have to be holy. Well, how does that happen? Well, the Bible says in Titus 2.14 that Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Did you know part of what Jesus has done for you, I know this is elementary, this is the gospel. He shed his blood to free you and to cleanse you from all sin. I need you to understand this. I I understand that I have nothing of value that I bring to the Lord. I am a worm. I am, I am nothing. I am not deserving of his grace. The Bible says that it is by grace we have been saved, not that of ourselves, lest any man should boast. None of us has bragging rights. I recognize that. However, I am not walking around beat up and defeated. I'm just a sinner. I'm, I, you know, I cringe every time I hear pastors, you know, and I, I sin every day. Like, I don't sin every day, I'll just tell you. Like, get a grip on your thought process, friend. Uh, you know, control yourself. Uh, uh, I, I, never, I never understood. I, I think I was, I mean, I was already in ministry when somebody actually said, you don't need to sin every day. And it like, it, it really struck me like, I really can consider my thought process. I remember we, were, we went on a, on a retreat, in a, in a, like a prayer retreat sort of thing, and I just really began to consider. And I'm like, you know what? Man, I haven't thought junk thoughts. I'm not full of, you know, the minute you start thinking that you're, you got it, then you got pride, and then you, you push that away, right? But uh, I'm just telling you, you don't need to. You're not a sinner, friend. You're not a sinner any longer. The Bible calls you a saint once you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If you, as a priest, the Bible has called you holy unto the Lord. I think those are the sorts of declarations that we need to start making over ourselves. Listen, I know what I used to be, but Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has freed me. Jesus has cleansed me. And now I am holy unto the Lord. So we're going to live that way. Number two, priests are anointed. Everybody say anointed. Oh my, I like this point. Priests are anointed. It is incredible to consider. In the Old Testament, did you know 
There were actually only three types of anointing that were recorded. See, we use the word anointing kind of loosely today. Uh, you know, somebody falls on the ground. That's the anointing. We feel a goosebump. That's the anointing. We prayed earlier today. God, release an anointing in this room. And, and, and I know what I'm talking about, but most of us, we use the word anointing just very kind of casually. In the Old Testament, there were only three anointings that were, uh, that were recorded. Uh, there would be the anointing for a king who was being anointed for office. There would be an anointing upon prophets who are stepping into their office or their calling. And they would also anoint priests who were moving into uh, service in the temple. And so there was the anointing of the priest, of the prophet, and the king. And those are the only three anointings. They would take a horn of oil or they would take a flask of oil and they would dump it on the person they were anointing to move into those various offices. Uh, in fact, you can read about that also in Leviticus 8. This is just cool. I'll read it to you. Moses poured the anointing oil on Aaron's head, anointing him and making him holy for his work. He received an anointing. And in verse 30, next Moses took some of the anointing oil and the blood that was on the altar, and he sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, and his son in their garments. In this way, he made Aaron as, and his sons and their garments holy. You see, the anointing, friend, the anointing is a big deal. This was this symbolized the oil represents God's manifest presence resting upon somebody. Like you're not going to be able to prophesy the way I want you to prophesy unless it's the Lord operating through you. You're not going to be able to do the service of the Lord unless it's his grace that is operating through you. You understand those sacrifices mean nothing if God is not in it. A king will not be able to rightly rule unless the anointing of the Lord is upon him. It's a very powerful idea. In fact, there are a number of occasions, it's scary, man, where you see the anointing actually withdrawn from individuals. Eli was a priest. And Eli refused to discipline and correct his children, even to the degree where his boys are sleeping with women on the doorstep of the temple. And he refused as a father to do not only what a father should do, but what a priest should do and correct this horrible sin. And so God not only struck down his boys in warfare, but on the same day, Eli the priest, the anointing was lifted. Eli fell and was killed. And there was a declaration. In fact, it's an interesting story. There was a child that was named Ichabod which means the glory has departed. In the very next generation, these, they, they go into slavery. The Ark of the Covenant is taken. It's horrible. Judgment came when the anointing was lifted. We need the anointing. We need the anointing. Saul is another one. The anointing was lifted. He was demonized. The anointing came upon David, his, his successor. It was a horrible occasion for King Saul. But here's what's interesting. You say, Pastor... Do we have an anointing? We use that word, but I'm not a king. I'm not a prophet. I, you're telling me I'm a priest, so do we have an anointing? But here's what the New Testament says. This is exciting. 1 John 2.20 says, you have an anointing. I want you to tell your neighbor, you have an anointing. <laughs> tell your other neighbor, you have an anointing. 
Every one of you has an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things. It's talking about knowing Jesus and his truth. And in verse 27, the anointing you have received, received from him abides in you. You do not need anyone to that teach you, but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. It is true. It is not a lie. It is just uh, and just as it was taught to you, you will abide in him. God, you understand, God has given pastors and teachers. He's given a lot of things to help instruct and lead and guide. But John is making the point. I want you to hear this. John, in this text, is making the point. You have an anointing. And you can hear from God and you can abide in Christ because he has redeemed you. Do you know God can speak to you? You can hear from him. He can speak to you through his word. This is the reason, man, I, I'm always challenging you. Pray for your neighbor. Believe for miracles. Why? Because there is an anointing upon you. I think it's an Old Testament, Old Covenant sort of idea when we say, oh, no, it's only the anointed priest who can pray for us. He needs to go before God on our behalf. That's Old Covenant thinking, friend. Under the shed blood of Jesus, you are a holy priesthood. You have been brought into the kingdom of God, and you have an anointing. You have an anointing upon your life. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to have time to get through all of this. I'm not even halfway through my message. Some of you are following along in the Bible app, but uh, this is my favorite idea right here. As a priest, you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. What's amazing, I've highlighted this everywhere I see it in the Bible. I don't, it, it's always jumped out to me, and I didn't understand it until I just came to this study recently. All throughout the Old Testament, the children of Israel were all given inheritances to tribe, you know, to the tribe of, of Judah. They said, you're going to get this piece of land from this mountain to this river. And to the tribe of Benjamin, you're going to get from this river to this border over here. And every nation, every child of, of the sons of Israel, they all received a certain inheritance. But there was one group who did not. The Levites. The Levites were the ones who were called to minister in the house of God. These were the ones, these were Aaron and his sons. These were the ones who were called to be priests unto God. They got no inheritance. They got no land. And the Bible says repeatedly, why? He says, I'm not giving you land. And God said, because I am your inheritance. Their inheritance wasn't a piece of property. Their inheritance was the very tangible presence of God Almighty. That stirs me, church. That stirs me so deeply. Because you consider the idea that God has called you and me priests. And part of our priestly inheritance isn't that, man, i got to go over there to sense God. Somebody's going to go on behalf of me. No. Church, your inheritance in your birthright is the very tangible presence of God Almighty. 
What a privilege. What a joy. God, you're my inheritance. You are mine and I am I'm yours. What a joy. That's our inheritance, friend. That's our inheritance. We have access. We have access to God. We've been called holy and royal priests. I tell you, when you understand like God, God wants to dwell on and with you. There's, there's no greater motivation for me to live holy. You say, that's a, that's a hard task to live holy. But when you consider God, you want to literally dwell on me and in me and all around me. You desire that I be a host of your presence in your very tangible glory. I tell you, that motivates me. Because there's moments, and, and you all know it, when you do something that grieves the heart of God. There's moments where you just sense like God doesn't want to be a part of that. And I just, I tell you, church, I was watching today. Worship team, would you come? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here. I didn't get through half of my message. That's okay. This is a good place to end. I love to put on old messages from, from great revivalists as I, as I get ready in the mornings. I, this morning I was watching A.A. A. Allen. I was watching William Brenham, just, you know, short, you know, 10, 20-minute clips. Uh, and one of the things that is just so frequently repeated with these guys is that it's just, like, you know the key to miracles? It's in this moment of total surrender to the Lord. I mean, that's really what it is. I heard Rodney Howard Brown make a statement this morning in a message. He was with Kenneth Copeland and a number of others. Oral Roberts was in the meeting. And he says, it's not about having the right person lay hands on you. He says, it's in surrender to the Holy Spirit. It's in yielding to the Holy Spirit. You understand, as we surrender, as we yield to Him, he makes us his dwelling place. He sets us apart as holy, as a priesthood unto him. He's cleansed us. He's washed us. I want you to look this way for a moment. I had fears before I got married. I don't know if anybody relates to this, but like my parents went through divorce. My father was unfaithful. And I remember before I got married, I, I questioned. And I know now that it was the harassing of the enemy. But I questioned, is that going to be my story? Is that going to be my life? But when I got married, and I began to fall so desperately even deeper in love with this woman of God, it called me to a higher standard. I took a step and I stepped into the office of marriage, if you will. And God has anointed me. I believe this. This may sound weird. This is weird verbiage maybe. But God has anointed me to be married. And I've been faithful to this woman of God. I've never wavered from this woman of God. 
by God's grace, we will not get divorced. We're going to be married. We're going to love you. We love each other more today than we did when we first got married, I think, right? Now, some of you here today, you're like, I can't live holy. I can't go all in for God because I'm not living right. That's the enemy. You got to fix yourself before you come to Jesus. No. You come to Jesus. He cleanses you. He anoints you to live a life that honors Him. 